Sunsets from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Amen. Horses prepared for battle. That's our topic for today. Horses prepared for battle. So first of all, imagine horses as systems. So systems prepared for battle. I'd like us to read this opening scripture and put your hand up like this. Put one hand up like this while you read this scripture. Imagine that you're a soldier. Imagine you're a soldier, right? Imagine, do soldiers sit when they're declaring or chanting? <laughs> one, two, go. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. He is my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Say amen. amen. You may be seated. Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through this we may become, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the world, escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Horses represent capacity. Horses represent what? Capacity. In those days, horses was a difference between whether a nation won a war or lost a war. It represents strength. It represents capacity. A horse is a large, plant-eating, domesticated mammal with solid hooves, flowing mane and tail, used for riding, racing, and to carry and pull loads. As we read 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, you begin to see this place. His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life. Life includes what? Vocation, dreams, family, impact. He has given all things that pertain to life and godliness, which refers to our priesthood and our calling. Priesthood refers to what you do with God. Calling refers to what you do among men. All things that has, he has given unto us a system, a way of life for us to defeat life and to do godliness. The day we were born, we were born into a war. You may be a baby, you may look innocent, but you are born into what? Into a war. Every one of us. And everybody's battle is different. Whoever you are, old, young, big, small, you are born into a war. So if you are poor, your war is poverty. If you are single, your war is singleness. If you are lonely, your war is loneliness. If you are waiting and expecting something from God, that becomes your war. And the character in many places is you can see families hurting. You can see businesses and industries struggling. You can see morality is falling in the streets. You can see values. Nobody is thinking about values anymore. You can see war in the nations. But all these are types of war. Everything you're going through personally is your war. When we say war, you may only be thinking about Israeli, Palestinian, Gaza. 
Do you understand? That's what you may be thinking about, but you are fighting a war. You're fighting a personal war. Whatever you're going through is your own war right now. We're in a war. And many of us are living in war as if we're in peace times. But these are times of war. Young people are fighting a war. Teenagers are battling something. You can just see them struggling, struggling, struggling with peer pressure, struggling with something, struggling with addiction, struggling with lies that the society and social media is curating for them. Everyone is fighting a war. The day your eyes open to see that you are fighting a war, then you begin to prepare for war. Then you begin to what? Prepare for war. The last time I came here, I preached in the light of eternity. This is the second part of the message. In the light of earth. You fight war on earth to break into eternity. You want to get into the eternity of God? It's actually about what the wars you fight. You're fighting a war. Tell that to your neighbor. And there's a wrong way to fight this war. One of the wrong ways to fight is canal agitation. Have you ever heard about Black Lives Matter? The people were crying out on the streets like Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And truly, don't you think Black Lives Matter? We matter. We are the Black Lives. Until you discover that Black Lives Matter as a movement collected all the money that people donated and bought themselves private mansions. Until you discover that they said Black Lives Matter also includes Trans Lives Matters and forcing transsexuals into spaces that are not supposed to be. That's what most of the money of Black Lives Matter is going to go and accomplish. Like, really? Our lives is equal to trans lives. So generally when you start, what happens agitation, you hear people shouting, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. But what is the quality of that movement? So you see that carnal agitation many times does not produce the will of God. Let me go there. Feminism. Feminism has never made any man to treat women better. The only men who treat women better on account of feminism are people who benefit from it. Hollywood stars want to sound like, oh, we are allies to the female. They will come out and say, oh, we all should be feminists. We should treat the women right. How can you ask a broken man to treat somebody right? Isn't the problem transformation? Is it not broken men who will rise up and honor their wives? Is it not godly men, men who are being healed by God that can stand up and create a place for the women to stand? Is it not men who have been led by the Holy Spirit that will not be afraid of their wives rising and say, my, my wife, come and stand here, I give you a place. Grow, expand. It's not godly men. It's not changed men that can transform. So we have a wrong, we have carnal agitation. We feel like carnal agitation produces anything. It doesn't. We have these whole things that we are working, but nobody is really working. It's not going anywhere. It's not adding any value. It's not changing any norms. Rather, it's making the men angrier. The men are now talking about male emasculation. So feminism and male emasculation on the other side. So sometimes our horses, <laughs> our agitations, our systems produce nothing. Some people decide that, oh, is violence. And they take up weapons. Have you seen violence ever end anything? 
every time a nation starts fighting, think about the Iraq war. I wrote this in my book, Collide. Think about the Iraq war. How many billions did they spend? How many people died? Thousands of people died. Hundreds of thousands of people died in the Iraq war. At the end of the war, which side do you know is the right side? The same people that America came to deliver, they are hating America and still burning American flag. So what's the point of war? In the end, guess how the war ended? People sat down and discussed. That's what they should have done from the get-go. <laughs> so you fight a whole war and then you sit down to discuss the end of the war. Should have discussed before the war. Then there was no need for a war. That's, that's how carnal agitation, hatred, doesn't end nothing. Hate produces hate. Killing produces killing. Killing cannot end anything. As you kill people, they will come back and kill you. Or their children will come back and kill you. War produces more war. And the Bible says, look at Jesus Christ, Matthew 26, 52. Put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword, die by the sword. All who live by the sword, die by the sword. And Matthew Luther said this, hate cannot drive out hate. You need love for that. That's powerful, right? Can we repeat that? Hate cannot drive out hate. You need love for that. Martin Luther King, incredible guy. This is actually how people deploy their horses. It's how people fight their wars. In the Bible, we see God preparing the children of Israel to enter the land. And God said to him, circumcise a people born in crisis. How many Nigerian children have never known peace? How many Nigerian children were born all this time of since Boko Haram? They've never known a peaceful Nigeria where you can travel to anywhere across this nation. They are a crisis generation. They were born in the wilderness. Guess what God asked Joshua to do? circumcise them because people born in the wilderness sometimes don't know perfect standards people born in a war don't know how things should be they don't know the original plan of God they don't know the design of God people born in a war actually get things wrong so God in trying to preserve a crisis generation said to Joshua circumcise all those who were born in the wilderness and their children whom he raised in their stead them Joshua circumcised for they were uncircumcised because they were not circumcised on the road God wants circumcision one of the weapons of warfare is circumcision say circumcision you know what circumcision means? I was describing circumcision to, to some people who were doing a private study in my office the other day. And I said to them, circumcision means tearing the outer skin of a, of a man's genitalia. And it used to be very, it used to be very, very painful. Well, when I did it, it was very, very painful. And in my town, they don't do it early. They wait until children are like 10 years old. So imagine 10-year-olds all lined up. That's the right of manhood. They all line up into the, into, the, into the traditional medicine man's house. He's the one, the local surgeon. He has sharp, sharp knives. He just yank it. One, one hand. <laughs> you guys can all see it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then in my town they had a leaf called Manila I don't know whether, whether you guys have that village that leaf in your village it's a very wide leaf so they tie a string on the, sh on the waist of boys and it goes over the Manila and Manila just stays there but after the first day all the boys are sore they cry all day by second day they get, start getting better but some of them forget 
that they have an open wound and they start going. Guess when they try to sit? <laughs> you guys need imagination. I can't put any graphics onto this thing, you know. <laughs> what does circumcision imply? Sensitivity. The cleaning out of the hard parts of you. This cleaning off of all those things that don't yield to God. The removal of the heavy garments that cover you so you can't hear God, so you can't understand Him. God says, take it away. People born in a time of crisis need to understand how to take away the noise, how to take away the layers. Circumcise your heart. Amen. And then the second thing you do to prepare to enter is learn wisdom. And Psalm 60, the psalmist was saying, give us aid against the enemy for the help of man is worthless. With our God, we shall do valiantly. And with our God, he will trample down our enemies. If you believe this, say amen. Horses are weapons of destruction. Horses are weapons of military strength. Horses are weapons of tactical advantage. So when you see horses, just imagine a horse to be an F-16 bomber, just like the one on the screen. That's a horse. That's an American horse. So because in those days, they were using horses. So the Bible uses horses. But what the Bible was saying, more like a bomber is a vain thing to use for fight war. Everything that gives you military advantage, everything that gives you tactical advantage, that causes you to see and hurt people and become stronger, those things are useless, the Bible is saying. It's incredible what the Bible says. Each of these things is hundreds of millions. One of these is over a hundred million dollars. One. It gives you superiority. When his payload empties, it takes down skyscrapers. One can take down a whole building. It's a mighty horse. Say mighty horse. And horses are weapons that destroy cities. So, put down that imagination and imagine horses to be people. Imagine if horses were human beings. Do you guys understand? Imagine that human beings were horses. Imagine that here, your neighbor is a horse. Ask your neighbor, what kind of horse are you? It's true. I see you didn't ask your brother. Are you scared of him? Ask him, ask him, what kind of horse are you? What did he say? Man, <laughs> so the Holy Spirit woke me up and started telling me, Come and learn about types of horses so you understand what I'm saying and see what kind of horses people are presented as. Number one, wild horses. Psalm 32, verse 9 Don't be honorary like a horse or mule that needs beet and bread to stay on track don't be hard headed like a wild horse you know how horses are taken they're taken from the wild in those days people get horses from the wild and then they bring them home and domesticate them and train them to comply and train them you train horses like you train dogs but think about horses they are strong they are resilient they are stubborn one horse kick Will, be, will, will open your, your lungs, or will tear you open. They are very strong. And in Israel, in the battles of Israel and their neighbors, whenever they had, whoever had horses and cavalry won the war. That is why when Egypt was pursuing the children of Israel, they had no horses. But the Egyptians had horses. That's why the song of Miriam goes, 
I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. The horse and the cavalry and the riders represent strength. And many times, horses are wild. Wild horses represent human beings who are not tamed, who are not brought themselves under the government of God, who are not yielded to God. Wild horses represent people who cannot channel, who God cannot channel, untrained, uncouth, unready men are like what? Wild horses. Number two, show horses. Some of us are like show horses. We only come out on Independence Day and party time. If you see those horses, they have ribbon in their back. They're always wagging their tail. Whenever they say show, some of us were just so excited. We are show horses. Ask your neighbor, are you a show horse? You see, they wear nice flowery thing on them. You see, you see the ones, these ones are not the, these ones, they just come out during the royal escort to just accompany people and just walk around people. They are just what? Show horses. May none of you be just a plain show horse in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, show horses have a purpose. This is the one they use for Prince Charles' coronation. These are, they use them out on show days. They are nice, they are gentle, they are tame, they are quiet, they don't talk, they don't bother anybody. They are, they are rich. <laughs> show horses. Let's go to the third horse. Walk horses. <laughs> Some people, they are in the rat race. They say, hustle. Hustle hard. They are walk horses. They don't know anything else apart from work. They don't open themselves up to God. Everything they boast about is actually about how to carry more load. More load. More load. Walk horses. Ask your neighbor, are you a walk horse? So there's another name for this, Jackie. May God free us from that ability to be in the rat race. Everything is about making the next Naira and the next Naira and the next Naira. If you're too busy to pray, you're busier than God intended. If you're too busy to worship, a horse is a vain thing, the Bible say. That capacity you have to work that is driving you up the hill is not bringing glory to God. Some of us are walk horses. We walk into the night, walk into the morning. In the early morning, we wake up and we're walking again. We are sleep deprived. We are prayer deprived. We are family deprived. Some of people have lost all their friends in the process of working, 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 and working. Ask your neighbor again, are you a work horse? Hallelujah. The next kind of horse, you like this one, raise horse, raise horses. Second Kings chapter 9 verse 20. And the watchman told, saying, He came unto them and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. So the, Jehu was riding towards a town. The king would send a messenger to him. And Jehu says, Get behind me. The messenger go and ride the horse behind me. He didn't send them back. They asked him, Are you coming in peace? He would say, What have, what have I what have got to do with peace? Just go behind me and ride. And Jehu was a furious rider. My pastor just used to say his name is, is a Jehu because he breaks all traffic laws. (laughs) 
<laughs> driving 17 in the 30 zone and like ah, he says no the spirit of the Lord is upon him <laughs> and he's Jehu <laughs> Jehu was a furious rider he was a racehorse guy kind of guy and for you to be a racehorse it means you need training and guess what God hardly uses show horses. God hardly uses wild horses. If God wants to use you, guess what? He will make you a race horse. That's the first kind of horse God will make you. He will make you into a race horse. You'll be able to speed. You'll be able to run. You'll be able to advance. You'll be able to. That's what. That's the scripture we read. Blessed be the Lord my God who teaches my hands to war and causes my fingers to fight. Say amen. amen. May some of you rise up and become people who are zealous for God in the name of Jesus Christ. You're a racehorse unto the Lord. But racehorses need to be trained. And the process of training the racehorse is very, very interesting to me. There are about so many elements, but I brought out maybe six, five here. Number one, rhythm. For you to be someone who begin to advance the things of God, you must have rhythm. You must have that ability to keep rhythm. If we say let's pray, you're not cutting up prayer meetings. You must be able to keep rhythm. For you to be used by God, you must be trained in rhythm. So first of all, you start by praying every day at 6 a.m. If you know you don't have discipline, you need what? Rhythm. Start by midnight and pray every midnight for 30 minutes. You need rhythm. Say rhythm. The reason why many of us are not able to walk with God is because we are not regular. There's too much gap between the first time and the next time and the next time. You need rhythm. You are accurate. You have pace. One day you are running 10. The next day you are running 20. You can actually start praying five minutes. Now it's fine. But tomorrow, increase it to 10. Increase your pace. You want to walk with God. You want to be trained in God's hand. You want to be a run, a race horse for him? Build pace. Be better today than you were yesterday. Have that ability to grow rhythm. Be regular. Be accurate. Grow in your pace. The next thing, suppleness. Suppleness is ease. Have you seen some people who pray with ease? Just take the microphone and just go, Do you know how they arrive at ease? By practice. <laughs> they got to a point of ease. They got to a point of ease. God trains us for ease. For us to be supple. For us to be tender. May you be the one who does holy things with ease. If I say, let's pray in the spirit, you're able to just lift up your hands and go, Supple, easy. You're a racehorse. And after a while, God can trust you to run the race of life, to run the race of faith, to run the race of business, to run the race of family. Why? Because you are supple. You are easy. You are malleable. You've mastered. You've grown. You've grown. You've learned how to do holy things. So now you have suppleness. The third thing is impulsion. The ability to rein yourself in. You train a horse with the ability to rein that horse in. Every horse that you can use must be able to be reined in. Can God rein you in? Can God tell you to stop and you stop? Can God tell you to go and you'll go? Power is nothing without control. Pirelli says, if you cannot control the power of God, if you cannot control your, yourself, if you cannot control your drive, if you cannot control your emotions, guess what? You are not trained. You are wild. A canoe stay come and balita. 
may you have the power of impulsion in the name of Jesus Christ. May God give you the power to be able to be contained and even though you are powerful but you can stop, you can go, you can run. You, like imagine a fast car without brakes. It's death. It's death. You must be able to snap on the brakes. The Holy Spirit was telling me, this is actually not spiritual at all. This came from the training manual for race horses. These points, all of them, I didn't add anything. They came from the training manual of race horses. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. This is how a horse is prepared. This is how a horse is prepared for battle. This is how a horse is made ready. Then straightness. Guess what straightness means? No, horses have the ability to be lefty like human beings. You know, if you start running sideways, have you seen those people who run? Run sideways. Walk. That's how they train models to walk like a cat. They call it cat walk. Straightness. Straightness. You must be able to take off in a straight line. Your eye must be focused. You must have that ability to run straight without missing the mark. To be a racehorse for God is the most, is one of the most desirable things that you can run straight in the direction of God's vision for your life. And the last one is called collection. Collection means balance, effective distribution. No, we are constantly swinging as people, either from the extreme of materialism, where the church is all about the Lord will give you miracles, the Lord will give you this, the Lord, 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 will give you, give you, give you, give you. We are constantly swinging from there onto extreme holiness. Holy, holy, we don't imbalance all the time. For you to do what God wants you to do, you must be holy, you must be wealthy. It's not one or the other, you have to have both. Say, I, I, have, holiness. I have holiness. Say, I have wealth. I have wealth. Say, I have holiness. I have, I have wealth. I'm trained by God, I'm distributed by God, I'm well balanced in natural things. In spiritual things. I'm not imbalanced. I'm not imbalanced. I have that grace of collection. You have efficient distribution. Can you believe this? This is actually how to train race horses. So when the Bible says horses are prepared for battle, the Bible actually knows exactly what it's saying. That they go through a rigorous process to make these horses able to take off. Final type of horses, war horses. War horses are specially bred horses. They defend the life of the person they carry with their own life. They, in fact, they can throw you down, lie on you so the enemy bullets will not hit you. War horses are the craziest things ever. They jump, when they hear gunpowder, they jump, to the, they go, Eah! have you seen movies on Wild Wild West? Oh, no more movies these days, man. All movies these days, I love you, can I kiss you? Back in those days, when men would travel to the moon and, dis and, and drill and drilled asteroids to split away from the earth and they will come back walking down from the moon. Mighty man. <laughs> now movies are all just one guy. <laughs> Sorry. Horses jumped to the rhythm of guns. If, if they are alone in a battle, they get the injured person to lie on them and they run with the person home. Say war horse. War. Say it again, war horse. war horse. 
War horses are the most desirable of all horses to own. At the end of the First World War, they set up a memorial for all the war horses. They gathered them and gave them a life of luxury because the war was actually determined on horsebacks. They are bold, they are courageous, they are aggressive, they have a penchant for deliverance, but they are also totally controlled. Totally controlled. One of the things about war horses is that they obey the command of their master. <laughs> war horses obey the command of their master. One of the most popular war horses known to man was a horse called Bucephalus. Alexander the Great rode this horse. This was his horse that made him conquer the whole of Europe. One horse, Bucephalus. Sounds like pussycat though. But this horse was so renowned, if you go to any French exhibition, you see Alexander the Great and Bucephalus together. He could not have been who he was without Bucephalus. A war horse. A war horse. Hallelujah. Lift up your hand and say, I'm a race horse. I'm a war horse. It's for my God. Whatever God wants me to do, I yield to Him. I'm trained. I'm ready. I'm equipped. I'm courageous. I'm bold. I'm audacious in the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you don't believe it. Say, I'm bold. I'm strong in the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Say, I'm trained by the Holy Ghost. I'm trained by the power of God to raise, to pursue, to bring down the enemy of my God in the name of Jesus Christ. Say, I'm strong. You are a war horse for the Lord. Then the Bible began to say, some may trust in chariots and some may trust in horses. But as the horses of God, we remember the name of the Lord our God. If you believe this, say amen. Our trust is not men's chariots. It's the fact that we are the horses of God. As the horses of God, our confidence is in God. Men trust in their own horses. Men trust in other men. Men trust in other systems. But we remember the Lord our God. And it is He who gives us power to overcome the enemy. It is He who gives us power to crush the issues of life. It is He who gives us power to battle every situation in our lives. Because the Lord is our anchor, is our strength in the name of Jesus Christ. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall a horse deliver any by his great strength. Only the trained horses of God have that ability. I hear an invitation this morning. The Bible is saying, train, the Lord is saying, train your horse. God says to me, train your horse. Guess the first horse? You. God is saying, train yourself. How do you train horses? This is a horse training institution. This machine helps the horse to run straight. This machine helps the horse to go in a particular direction. It helps the horse to build resistance and distribution. It helps the horse to have balance. So, yes, in, in, in training, train your horse. Train your business strategies. Train the ideas you bring to the table. Train the power of impact that you're supposed to have. You are a vehicle for liberty in the hands of God. You're an instrument for restoration in the hands of God. But if you're not trained, you will not be able to enter fully into what God has created you for. Hey, grow your skills. Grow your dexterity. Grow your ability to do things. Many of us in the church will feel it's only prayer. After you prayed, grow your ability to do things. Grow your ability. Grow your capacity. Grow your enablement. Enable yourself. Train yourself to be able to do things. Grow in that place. 
Grow your skills. Embrace your calling. Embrace your calling. Some of us here are called. Now, you are a host for God. But if you don't embrace your calling, you'll never be able to walk into it. Some of us are fighting our calling. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too disgraceful. It's too bad for us. We are fighting the things which we are created for. Embrace your calling. Embrace your calling. Embrace your calling. And one of the ways you have to be a good horse in the hands of God is to pull down demonic strongholds. Everything that stands up in your lineage, in your family, they say this is how you guys are. You're never able to do this. I resist it. I pull it down in the name of Jesus Christ. I pull down everything that inhibits me. I push down every wall that stops me in the name of Jesus Christ. I receive power as a war horse for God to pull down every inhibition. I pull it down in the name of the Lord. They said that this is how your family members are. They said that this is how all of you guys are. And this is a cycle repeating yourself. Say, I pull it down in the name of Jesus. They say that you guys, you never keep your marriage. They say that you guys, you're always divorced. Say, I pull it down in the name of Jesus Christ. They say that all of the people in your family die young. Say, I resist it. I refuse it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pull down every stronghold by the grace of God. I run against the troop by the grace of God. I push down walls. It is He who trains my hands to fall. It is He who causes my fingers to fight. I'm a fighter in the army of God. I'm a strong man in the spirit. I don't allow some things. I don't allow some things. I don't allow the enemies to run all over me. Why? Because I'm a horse prepared for battle. I'm a horse made ready for the Lord. I'm a vehicle of God. I'm an instrument of righteousness. I'm a vessel of glory. I'm ready in the spirit to destroy and to dislodge all the plans of the wicked in the name of Jesus Christ. We push back every darkness. We push back every cloud in every home, in every family. We push it down. We push down every habit, every chain, every oppression. We become horses unto God. Trained horses, trained instruments. We have skill. We have knowledge, we have capacity, we have dexterity, we make impact. Yes, we don't lack strategy. Our head is full of ideas. Our hands are full of execution. We have capacity to complete. We will not only imagine, we will bring it to pass in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm trained, I'm trained, I'm trained in the spirit. Shout it out, say, I'm trained by the Spirit. Say, I'm trained by the Holy Spirit. I'm trained, I'm trained, I'm trained. In the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I receive your training. I receive your work in me. Train me. Train me. And I shall be a vessel of righteousness and honor. And I shall be an instrument of power in the earth. And you can count on me as you train me. As you give me grace, I will not fail. I will not flounder. I will not fall. By your grace, oh God, I will stand as a horse prepared for battle by your spirit because you give me safety. Thank you, Father God. Sento Sakuma Shada. Train your horse. Train your horse. A wise man is strong and a man of knowledge enhances his strength. Only with sound guidance should you wage war and victory lies in a multitude of counselors.
This is also a prayer point. Say, I have counselors. Say, I have wise counsel. I'm not only wise in my own eyes. I have guidance. I wage war with guidance. I have victory. I have sound guidance. I am strong. I'm a man of knowledge. I enhance my strength. I am strong, but I enhance my strength. I'm strong, but I enhance my strength. Say, I'm stronger. Say, I'm more graceful. I'm more amazing by the grace of God in the name of Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8, God said to Joshua, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them and to their seed after them. When we're talking about horses, we're talking about instruments of advance. God wants you to have instruments of advance. But God doesn't want you to trust in the instrument. God wants you to trust in him. But it's not that the instrument is not trained. It's not the instrument is not ready. Because if we're talking about horses and then we're saying we should trust God rather than horses, then are we not being confusing? No, you should be a trained horse, but you shouldn't put confidence in your training. You should put your confidence in the God who is training you for the assignment. Do you guys understand? God said to Joshua, it's time. It's time. It's time. Go in. It's time. To someone this morning, it's time. It's time. And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we are come to the brook Zarek was 30 and 8 years until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host as the Lord swore unto them for indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. These were all the people who trusted in the horses of Egypt. Every man of war who understood how Egypt was powerful, 38 years, God waited for them to all die as the people of God. And the new people who had confidence in God were the ones who were supposed to enter into the land. Tell someone, it's time to enter. It's time to enter. This is the time to enter into the promise. It's the time to claim the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is bringing you to your promised land in the name of Jesus Christ. It's time to enter the covenant. It's time to inherit the promise. It's time for you to birth all that God has said concerning you. It's time for you to unlock in the heart of God what God wants you to be and to do in the name of Jesus Christ. It's time to enter. Say to someone else, it's time to enter. Hallelujah. The idea of God is actually to bring you from war horse to show horse. You don't even believe this. That's what many people do not know. God actually planned to make you fight war. And like at the end of the First World War, those horses became decorated in the rank of the people who rode them. So they were colonels, they were majors, like that. They had ranks. God wants you to win the war. And after the winning the war, then you see to the intent that unto principalities and powers might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God brings you from war, not because he likes you fighting war, because he has a place to show you off, where people feel it's a privilege to stand and take picture with you. As a horse, you grow to a point in time when you are delectable, you are honorable, you are distinguished. But not just show horse who is just showy, showy. You didn't fight any war. Just like wearing ribbons and wiggle your tail. Just like wearing military batik. You never went to war wearing all those nice chains and colorful, this thing, bayonets and stuff and having men with red hoodies right on you. You don't even run fast. No speed. No training. No capacity. Nothing, nothing. 
God wants you to have finished, then he will turn your war into an end and says, your warfare is over. Now enter into my rest. This is the desire of God. Hallelujah. Finally, victory belongs to God. But this is how God brings victory to himself. He takes on our ego, our views, our love for ourselves. We sell, I call it self-love, selfish love, self-love, selfish love. Sorry. What did they say it called it? Selfish love, right? Yeah. And pride. These things are our preference, the way we like things to be. When we do an exchange with God, what is God looking for? God is looking for a pathway for his people to follow. God is looking to give us life indeed. God is looking to release his truth to us. When we exchange the place where we are for where God is, then we become what is called the transformed people. The transformed people do not think about their own worth. Think about God's worth in them. Transformed people don't have their own ideas. Like, like Eve tried to have her own ideas after God. Transformed people have what? God's ideas. And transformed people become like Christ. That's actually God's will. That we become like Christ. And that's what we're reading in our prayer meeting yesterday morning in John chapter 14. I've been sharing that John 14 all through this week. So let's end there. Turn your Bibles to John 14. I didn't know whether I should do it or not do it. But now I feel tempted to do it. So let's do John 14 and then you'll understand. I used to wrap up. Who has John 14? Give us John 14, yes. Yes, Pastor Fred. John 14 from verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, where I go you know, and the way you know. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how, you, how we know the way. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this conversation started with, let not your heart be troubled. Right? Don't allow anything to disturb you. Why? I'm going to prepare a place for you. When we hear, I'm going to prepare a place for you, we only think about heaven. But think about it like God is actually preparing many levels of things for us. Even on earth, he's preparing a place for you. And when he prepares a place for you, he stretches out his hand and says, come, enter into that level which I prepared for you. And when I prepare a place for you, I'll come and take you and you will be with me. I'll raise the level where you stand. So this scripture is true for rapture and eternity, but it's also true for now. That there are many dimensions in God. There are many expressions in God. There are many rooms in God. There are many estates of life in God. And God invites people to those levels. He prepares a place for you and invites you to walk in it. That's actually God. That's Jesus Christ for you. He says, if, I, if it were not so, I would have told you. There is more. I'm not asking you to seek me for nothing's sake. When you seek me, I prepare a place for you. I take you. I put you into the prepared place. And you, be, you and me begin to have that fellowship. The next thing, he says, where I'm going, you know. And Thomas says, Lord, no, no, we don't know. We don't know where you're going. You know Thomas, brother Thomas? How many of you are like Brother Thomas here? You ask questions. You don't just accept what he says. When in John 11, uh, Lazarus had died, Jesus said, let's go and raise Lazarus. Uh, Thomas said, let's go and die with him. How can we raise somebody from the dead? Thomas always asked practical questions. 
And those of you, Pastor, Ch Pastor Chris Devon says that, don't accuse Thomas of asking too many questions. He wanted to be convinced. And when he was convinced, he went all the way to India. He was that kind of person who needed to understand. And if you're that kind of person, don't feel bad because Jesus did not chastise him. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Amarum. <laughs> Do you guys understand? This training you're talking about, I don't understand it. This thing of doing many things, I don't get it. This, there's so much wahala. So what are you talking about? Then Jesus brought a teaching moment. He says, I am the way. Way means a way of doing things. Pathway. I am the truth. Idea. Ideology. It's me. You want the right ideology? It's me. I am the truth. You remember they had that conversation with Pilate. Pilate asked, what's the truth? Even Pilate, the king, today people don't know what the truth is. After a while, you live in so much lies, you don't know what is true. Jesus says, don't look for truth. That's me. I am truth. Then he said something. I am the life. I'm the bubble. I'm the inspiration. I'm the elixir. I'm the excitement. I'm the thing you're looking for. That's me. So, if you come to me and begin to walk with me, you have a way of being. You have an idea in your mind and you have joy. Do you guys understand? That's what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching about what really makes you win in life. It is this exchange that is actually the difference between a horse that is prepared for battle and a horse that carries his own ideology. The main thing is, are you a horse that is yielded to God? Are you a horse that trusts him in his way, in the way he walks, in the way he thinks? Because many of us will trust God in the way he walks, but we don't trust his thinking. We think this Christian ideology is bad, is it's dangerous. It's, it makes you weak. People are just going to crush you. You cannot just accept what people are saying. You have to fight back. You cannot just, do you understand? Many of us will feel like God's way is weak. His idea is not strong. We are stronger than the ideas of God. And sometimes we feel like, oh, there's no life in God. There's life in the world. And honestly, sometimes it looks like there's life in the world. I was telling the story of when I dropped my daughter off to do something in, uh, in Balare, Bumusa, and then it was, it was in the morning, Saturday morning, and the people were coming like, oh, yeah, they blocked the road like all through. In, on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, they blocked the road. I was looking at it like, what's going on here? Then I looked at the building. It was written Quillocks on it. And it's the back entrance of Quillox. I didn't know that's where it was. So some of you, if you don't know, it's good. You don't need to know such thing. But everybody was so happy. They were seemingly happy. It's as if the life of Christ is dry. It's as if what God is giving us is not, doesn't have bubble. But I can tell you the truth. That life... It gives you hangover. You pay with your money. When you go home, your problems are waiting for you. <laughs> you are drunk. Everything looks good tonight. Tomorrow morning, you are back into the problem with a bang. The problem comes slapping you in the face. There is no river. There is no river in the life of the world. The life of God flows a river. Amen. Amen. So God invites you to be his horse who experience him who understands him, who walks with him, who is trained by him to do his battles, to carry his agenda, to run his race. That's what God wants you to be. You are a horse trained for the Lord. You're not the horse in the world. You're not the horse of, the, of men. You're not the one bound by the chains of this world. You're not the one bound by other agendas that do not belong to God. You are a horse trained for God. Say amen. Amen. Say, I'm a race horse for the Lord. Say, I'm a war horse for my God. Say, I know my Lord. Say it again. Say it out loud. Say, I know my God. 
Horses are prepared for the day of battle. But I know my God, I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I wake up and I push the warfare of God in the earth. I push the agenda of God among men. I declare the glory of God. I declare the power of my God in the name of Jesus Christ. I declare by the Spirit of God that I'm not just a show horse. I'm not just a wild horse. I'm not just a work horse. I'm a war horse for my Lord. I'm a war horse for my Lord. I fight battles. Say, I fight battles. I take on enemies. I never tire. Say, I'm not tired. Say, I'm not tired. Because the Lord has the victory. The Lord has the victory to me. Blessed be the Lord my God who trains my hands for war. Blessed be the Lord my God who causes my fingers to fight. Blessed be the Lord my God who bends the bow of steel through my hands. By my God I will do valiantly. By my God I will run through the troop. By my God I will break the walls down in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 